Hello everybody. I wouldn't say good morning or good evening or good afternoon because we don't know when you're listening to this. It, that's the beauty of the internet. Good day. Yes, I'm Dan. I'm Mark. Yep, your two favourite podcast hosts. Not that the numbers reflect it, but that's okay. <laughs> what we're we doing, we are drunkenly driving the tractor of chat through the barn of culture. Correct. And, you know, like throwing shit at a wall, some of it will stick. Some of As it we're will through stick. that barn, we grab some stuff, some of it will make it out of that barn yep. for us to talk about. And many more tortured analogies uh, are still to come. <laughs> Normally, we'd kind of do a newsy, roundupy kind of thing, but generally speaking, things have been a little bit quiet, really. There hasn't been anything major, really. It's, it's almost like there's been other things going on in the world that Can't imagine have what. kind of taken over. I mean, w- well, one thing I suppose which is semi-relevant at the moment is that a lot of the film studios are pulling releases in Russia, which I understand. Oh, um, really? Why? Why? What's going on there? What's going on in Russia? I, I just... I, I don't know, mate. <laughs> Read a fucking no, article. Um, <laughs> no, I think that, and I think that's fair, to be honest. I yeah, don't blame yeah. them. Because it's happening with music as well that nobody nobody's playing in Russia as well. Oh, there have been some tours and things cancelled as well, haven't there? And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, gigs or whatever the young people call them. Geeks. Gigs. Have, oh, thank have, you. Have been called off. You're the one listening to the drill. Listen, fam. <laughs> I cut you, bruv. I cut you. <laughs> I'll murk you good. Um... <laughs> but anything newsworthy? No, not really. Doctor Strange ruined that for us. It did, didn't it? Yeah, that was... Uh, it... No, I, th- I think, yeah, on the whole, yes. The studios are pulling releases from Russia. I think, really, in terms of news and stuff now, we're kind of waiting for the next wave of releases, aren't we? To kind of hit. In, in the summer, there's there's been a couple of trailers along. There's a trailer for Nope, which is Jordan Peele's next film. Um, I've not seen the trailer for it, but I saw it was coming. It looks interesting. It does. It's one of those good trailers where it kind of gives you plenty of interesting visual stuff, but not really giving anything away in terms of the plot, uh, sure. which is rare these days. Yeah. At the time of recording today, there's just been a, a trailer released for Brad Pitt's new film, Bullet Train. Yes. I don't know if you've seen that, but it looks a lot of fun. I saw the stills, and mm. a bit of me went, is this a, a Hollywood remake of a Asian cinema film? Because it, it seems to be that kind of vibe. I don't know. Mm. I don't... Not as far as I'm aware of. It could be, though. But the story seems to be that Brad Pitt is a kind of assassin-stroke, troubleshooter, kind of fixer kind of guy freelance his latest job is to get on a train a bullet train in japan and retrieve a briefcase and once he's on there he realizes he's not the only person on that train looking Uh. for that briefcase so it's directed by david leach who was the co-director of the first john wick i was about to say this is john wick on a train yeah essentially so he was the co-director of the first john wick but he's also the director of deadpool 2 so some the trailer looks like it's lots of fun, so there's some nice humour in there. And I think he also directed Atomic Blonde, the Charlie's Theron one. Mm-hmm. So plenty of close quarter action, bit of humour, bit of comedy. It, it looks fun. It does look fun. Cool. But that's about it, really. What, yeah, I mean, it's fair, it's fair. Uncharted has, has come out and been quite successful. Moonfall has well, come out. Well, it's been... been it's, sorry, I'm going to just pretense that it is now successful when it first came out it was a bit i don't think it hit the mark but the we've we've got numbers 
you yeah. know, worldwide, uh, two hundred twenty-seven million dollars at the moment. That's, That's not bad. That's no, not bad. no. It's like you always say when you bring into the count of physical media, then afterwards, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it's probably going to do okay. Now, I've not seen it. I have also no. not played any of the games, but I'm a bit done with Tom Holland for the time being. So mm. I'm I'm going to give it some time. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. And the other kind of big one that came out was Moonfall, which, from the trailers and the kind of hype, looked like it was going to be really good fun. You know, from the people who brought you Independence Day, 2012, Day After Tomorrow kind of thing, and it was a massive flop. Which I mean, I've not seen it, but to me, it sounded like much like. Spider-Man No Way Home. It sounded like the kind of thing that audiences would flock to in terms of its undemanding, cheesy, over-the-top escapism. Okay. Um, And I I thought, personally, in terms of its timing, just as obviously things are starting to open up again and so on... Fallen on its ass. Yeah, and I expected it to be be much bigger. Perhaps it was just that Spider-Man is still doing so well. Or, or yeah. it was when, when Moonfall came out, rather, because we're a couple of weeks away now. But we digress. We digress. Um, we were going to look at and do a bit of review on the new Texas Chainsaw that came to Netflix, and mm-hmm. we've now both seen Scream 2022, but we're going to mm-hmm. do that in another one, because yeah. we've got a better idea, quite frankly. Um, yeah. I say we, Mark, and I'm going to go along with it, because I'm his lackey. But <laughs> first off, to just ease you into this episode... We are going to take... I don't know why it's stupid that we're going to do this, but because we stupidly opened the the floor to the Sussex Symphony Orchestra to have a spat via our email inbox, we've got oh, a few yeah. more listener emails. And because we asked for it, we have an obligation to read them. Yeah. So you may yeah. remember... Oh, Jesus Christ. Trevor was having a bit of a spat. Well, wasn't he the one who who first complained that that we were called culture trumpet, but didn't actually mention trumpets at all? That was Trevor. That was Trevor, yeah. I think. Or was that Barry? Ah, uh, they they all all these trumpets. That was Barry, twats, wasn't it? It was just it was Barry. The 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 first one was Barry, and right. he came in complaining that we were the culture trumpet podcast, and we didn't once mention trumpets. Clearly, there. A, b- a bit of a misunderstanding, perhaps. Yes, and then Trevor wrote back t- Trevor, in retort yeah. to Barry. Uh, and it turns out Trevor hates trumpets, yep. so he's quite glad. But the twist it, the twist there, it seems that the reason he hates trumpets is because Barry took his place. That's right, that's right. The, the, bi- the bitter musicians, bitter musicians. And I, I think now, as you say, we've, we've kind of... We've ended up now being the, a channel for this recrimination that's going on between them, because as you say, it hasn't stopped. There have been more emails. So, because of the nice people that we are, we will do this mm. this one time, one last time. But listen, if any, if we read out your message or you're, or you're part of the Sussex Symphony Orchestra, or you know Barry and Trevor, just tell them to knock it off. Yeah, because it's is, not worth it's our time anymore. Right? It's got to stop. It's got to stop. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Mark. Thank you. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. Let's see how how heated this one gets. <clears throat> hey, Mark and Dan. I started really well. I'm happy with this. Hey, Mark and Dan. You can tell Trevor that his seat is being well looked after by me. Uh, oh. Oh. Come on, Barry. Oh. 
His kids say hello too. They also tell me they miss their daddy. Oh, this is tragic. Mm. They have a birthday list for him, though, if he could provide the solicitors with a forwarding address. It's been over a year. Move on, Trevor. Marie is much happier now without you. Get over it, you pathetic little man. Also, your trills are a disgrace. No wonder she left you. Yours faithfully, Barry. Oh, I mean, that's harsh. I mean, it, uh, that kind of makes more sense now why they hate each other. And it's getting personal, isn't it? It's getting very personal. But yes, I, I guess now we've got a little bit of extra context. Okay. Um, Barry, um, I hope that helps. And, you know, mm. you know get, get get Trevor's kids to get in touch. We'll send them out a culture trumpet pencil or something. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know or care, to be fair, but okay. And, and Marie, I guess, if she's happier, then, then, then fair enough. Crack on. Fair enough. Um, there, there are a couple of others. Um, one that says, leave it, Trevor. He's not worth it. Now, that, that's from Edith Butterley, who's the second triangle, Sussex Symphony Orchestra. I'd argue that being a second triangle is harder than being a first triangle, because you have to follow the importance of the first triangle. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, again, and, and I digress, I digress. And, and if you're not paying attention, that could be an easy thing to miss. Oh, he's on fire! And the other one, uh, speaking of Marie, actually, um, high culture trumpet... I just want to let your listeners know that I'm not a trumpet groupie. Barry's just a better lover. Oh, I mean, that's a bit too much too I mean, much we didn't need there. to know that, Marie, but I'm, I'm happy that you're happy. As a trumpeter, you wouldn't believe what he can do with his mouth and fingers. Oh, Marie, come on. That's, that's, that's really not... not Smut. Fa- family listening now, come on. That's, Jesus that's, that's, fucking Christ, Marie. Ugh, fuck's sake. Anyway, look. But they got married because she signed it Marie Spanner. Marie Spanner, indeed. So, I mean, there's yeah, definitely okay. a spanner, spanner in the works joke to be had, but I mean, well, I'm, there is. I can't imagine where that we might shoehorn that <laughs> one in. But oh well. In. Okay, so let's move on. So, review, yeah, we did have a couple of reviews, but we'll maybe come back to those in another episode. Let's roll the topic or topics of the week jingle. <laughs> It's time for topic or topics of the week. That's not how it goes, but you know. So, first one. What are we talking about this week? A couple of things to, to go into in a bit, a bit of depth and a bit of detail this week. We have done in the past our kind of Desert Island disky, although for copyright reasons, not Desert Island disc, countdowns of our kind of favourite movies and favourite songs or albums. Okay. But I was wondering, in terms of films, right? Is films. there films? In in terms of films, is there a film that has changed your life? Oh, You're not one for accents, are you? In the right context, I think this is a bit more thing. So, <clears throat> in terms of films, is there a film that you've seen that, for whatever reason, you could say has kind of changed your life in some way? I did try and give this some thought. Mm. And I guess the context of life changing, I think, should be quantified here. Because mm-hmm. I, I know in the past I've pinpointed music that then influenced me. Changed your life, I think, is quite, it's quite a broad statement. But Yeah, and, and I guess to be fair, that, that that's... The definition of life changing is, is I, I guess, is quite personal as well, isn't it? So, sure. What you consider life changing, or well, how, okay, it, how it might be. So, 
obviously as a kid you're sort of brought up with animated stuff. I mean, let's face it, Disney, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all you're really exposed to, I think, as a kid, is animated, flashy colours and, you know. But So I suppose the first sort of like, not, not even grown-up film, but first film that I remember watching that wasn't animated or properly for kids was Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. And as you know, you know, and listeners will probably know if they've stuck around, is that that, that is genuinely one of my, well, it probably is my favourite trilogy of all time. Mm-hmm. And it's still that feeling of childish innocence that I get when I still watch it, and it puts me straight back to being a kid, watching it on VHS. And yeah, every time I watch it now, I think, bloody hell, there's a lot more swearing in this than I remember. Yeah. Unless you watch <laughs> yeah, it on, you know, ITV over Christmas and they bleep out all the good bits. Or they don't even put... The um, the Libyan scene in it, they don't call him bastards, and it really loses something. But I reckon, yeah, Back to the Future, because that then introduced me into a lot more other, you know, it, well, real films, I suppose. So in terms of, did it kind of get you more into kind of comedy or sci-fi or looking at the kind of the people who made the film, kind of a, obviously well, Spielberg was Well, back then I didn't realise who they were. Mm-hmm. But as I've got older, obviously Spielberg, Zemeckis, and, mm-hmm. you know, then it opened me up to Forrest Gump. And I think around the same sort of time I was introduced to the first Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I remember I remember being in... Do you have a macro in your neck of the woods? Yes. Right? Are they still around? Yeah, there's there's one nearish oh, yeah. here. And, yeah. I mean, it's no Costco. Other, other wholesale brands are available. I mean, who is who else is Costco? I mean, there's no no comparison. No. Anyway, and I remember I'd be shopping there with my parents, and my mum came over with this VHS of Jurassic Park, and she went, "It's dinosaurs. You like dinosaurs?" I was like, "Yeah, probably." You know, <laughs> as, as, a, as a whatever age kid I was, yeah. and then watched it, and it was just like, "Oh my god, this is incredible! There, those are dinosaurs. Mm. Get a baby dinosaur." Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah, maybe maybe there as well. I mean, that, and then that opened me up into Spielberg, and that. You know, he is probably one of my favourite directors. Yeah. Okay. No, that's cool. So, I think you're right in terms of... I think it's probably one of my favourite trilogies as well. And we've talked about this before, haven't we? I just think it, it just... Especially as it was never intended to be a trilogy. The, the first film just... I mean, it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, but there was never any intention of then doing a sequel. What they then managed to do over the following two films and wrap it all up... And especially in the second one, which I think is one of the best sequels ever made, the way they they go back into the first film, go which back at, into the first at one. the time was unheard of. Oh, just incredible! The kind but, of the intricacy of it. But right, so hear me out. Hmm. Imagine you know, maybe six or seven year old Dan watching this film hmm. as a kid. <laughs> that was amazing. That was so good. And then hmm. your grandparents say. There's two more. <laughs> what? There's another two yeah. Back to the Future films. Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> like I, that couldn't have happened with Jurassic Park at the at the time because they hadn't released the Lost World. But yeah, yeah. And then it was. What do you mean? There's two other Back to the Future films. Mm. And you know, one of the other things it did, or the sequels did, which I think hadn't been done before, was filming them back to back. Well, yeah, two and three was filmed back to back, certainly. Yeah. But that wasn't that a lot down to Michael J. Fox was then shit hot. 
I think there was availability for everyone, really, yeah, because they knew that if they took a break, it could then be quite some time before everyone was then available to, to carry on and do the last one. But since then, obviously then Peter Jackson did it with the Lord of the Rings films. Obviously Marvel did it with Infinity War and Endgame, and it's been... Become a sort of staple, not a staple, but the, the thing to do now if you're doing yeah. multi-film, multi-character deal films. Yeah, yeah. That was so... not a very interesting... Anecdote on my part. I do apologise. <laughs> that's alright. But no, it's um, no. That's a good good call. That good call. I've, that. I've got an, I've got another one that changed my life as an older person. So I want you to go oh, first. Yeah. Oh, okay. I want you to go next. Sorry. All right. So my mine then is Tim Burton's Batman film. It's a good Batman. The best Batman. And I had kind of obviously watched films before then, right? But I'd never, they'd just been, you know, oh, this is a good film. I even watched stuff like Back to the Future. These are good films, you know, and, and, and whatever else I might have watched. But I think that was the first film where it kind of dawned on me what all those credits at the beginning or end of a film actually mean in terms of things like production designer, costume designer, cinematography. Because this film the whole you know the whole world was kind of created from from the ground up and obviously mm, other yeah. ones other ones had been before then but this was the first one i was kind of aware of where you know gotham city wasn't a city anywhere it had been built on a back lot in london of all places right television's so, london yeah so so all of a sudden you've got you know these credits are coming up and production designer well what does a production designer do oh that's what they do costume designer and then you kind of and obviously tim burton as the director was visually an interesting looking fella right it certainly looked a lot more interesting than a lot of other directors that you may see pictures of and, and in interviews and it just made me kind of all of a sudden understand and appreciate what all these people actually do on a film and it kind of completely changed the way I looked at films because all of a sudden now I realise somebody designed those sets or in the, you know or the Batmobile or the costumes. They're not just magicked out of thin air or whatever I thought happened previously. And there's a cinematographer that that controls how the film looks. There are the model makers. You know, and then all these names like you know Anton First, Derek Meddings who did the model work, uh, Bob Ringwood who did the costumes, and you'd see their names then on other films. But there'd be these links, and all of a sudden, and then yeah, it was just like this. So that's the I, first I, time you really started like connecting and taking note of mm. of the people that had produced the thing that you really enjoyed last, like you just yeah. enjoyed. That's it. So all of a sudden, it'd be like, oh, now. Because, you know, that led to Tim Burton being my first favourite director. Cool. Right, and it would be like, oh, a new Tim Burton film is coming. I'm going to watch that new Tim Burton film. Or I'd see another film and it would be like Costumes by Bob Ringwood. And it would be like, oh, he did the Batman stuff. He did, you know, Alien 3. He did whatever. The, the production designer, cinematographer. And you get, you see these names crop up again and again, and you realise it's it's not just there might be a star director like Spielberg, right? But you know, you look at like like Jurassic Park, all right? 
Dean Cundy was the cinematographer of Jurassic Park. He also did John Carpenter's early films. Mm. Halloween, The Thing, I think he did Escape from New York. Do you know, so all of yeah, a sudden, yeah. the, these names have a history and they're kind of their own... And then they start cropping up in other places that that's it. have become, coincidentally, maybe your favourite thing. And yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And and it's I'd never kind of had that um, realisation before. And then obviously since then you kind of you then go oh this director did this film and then that film mm. and, then, and then you kind of that's when you have your your kind of top five favorite directors but it all really kind of came from that where I realised that there were all these separate jobs on yeah. a film yeah. that everyone kind of did and, and contributed towards yeah and that just turned me into an absolute film wanker basically. Well- <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to call you a wanker. I'm glad you put film in front of it. But it, that sort of realisation comes with age, obviously, because oh, yeah. when, when you're kids, you don't take notice of it. But mm. sort of teenage-ish, I remember properly starting getting into films. And mm. um, as I've mentioned in the past, some, a lot of my friends are a, bit, a little bit older than me because I'm, I'm quite young in where I am in the academic year kind of thing. And my friends had old brothers, so, you know, naturally you got influenced by them. And I remember being shown films that I was way too young to have watched at the time. Yeah. And one of them, I think I mentioned it in a few episodes ago, um, Final Destination 2, and where the lady gets decapitated in the in the lift. That stuck mm-hmm. with me for years. But mm. what it also then introduced me to was this morbid curiosity of slasher films. And yes, I was horrified at what I'd seen, but then I was like, uh, have you got any other recommendations that are a bit bloody? And then, mm, you know, mm. it was like, well, Nightmare on Elm Street's pretty, pretty bloody. I was like, oh, I don't want to go that scary. And I can't remember what I watched back then, but, you know, then I started looking at this splat fest that, mainstream splat fest though, no, nothing that was too, you know, like I've only just watched um, Peter Jackson's, uh, what's the bloody film? Brain Dead. Oh yeah, um, I've only just seen that in the last year and a half, two years, and Christ oh, wow. alive! If you want Splatterfest, that's the one to go to. It's hilarious. It's brilliant, isn't it? it, it like, is brilliant. It's, t- take away how obscenely disgusting it is. It's a fun watch because it's batshit. And then I, I remember watching the whole film, saying to my wife, "Going Lord of the Rings." It's, it's Lord, brilliant. It's Lord of the Rings. This now again when that came out, I think it was ninety two, ninety three, right? Obviously, in his, his uh, it was only his third film. He did, he did. Um, Is it bad, bad brains? Bad, bad taste. Bad taste. Then meet the Feebles, which and was then, his Muppet film. Yeah, yeah. And, and, this the, one. and then this. So I was aware of him for through Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles already, because those were the kind of films I watched when I was at school. Right. It comes back to the ah um, oh Christ. What do they call the era? Video nasties. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat that so I sound intelligent. <laughs> Go for it. It comes back to the the era of what, what do they call it? The video nasty. Oh, you can keep the other bit in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep all of that. <laughs> oh, I want to sound clever. Yeah, because because I grew up through the video nasties thing, I kind of had this curiosity with horror films anyway, 
uh, or, or gore movies and stuff, not from a kind of just because like so many were banned. Yeah, it was like if if that's been banned, I want to watch it because I want to see why it's been banned. Right, it's the psychological. You don't touch that; it's hot. I'm going to yeah, touch exactly. it now. Exactly. Exactly. So how, I would how end hot. Yeah. Precisely. So I would end up buying stuff like magazines like Fangoria and Gorezone and stuff like that, which obviously covered horror movies and and learned about Peter Jackson through there. And and Brain Dead had quite a limited UK cinema release. Uh, when it originally came out and and it happened to be on at the local showcase cinema and when I was in the sixth form at school I persuaded a couple of friends including one who could drive and that was the only reason I persuaded him I mean that if if you the older people in our school years that could drive were the MVPs that's it so it was like there were three or four of us went to this afternoon show, we managed to convince them to knock off school, basically, as well. <laughs> Three or four of us went to this afternoon showing of Braindead. I think we were the only ones in the, in the screen. I laughed so hard I almost shit. It was <laughs> just from beginning to end. It was like, you're partly watching through your fingers, because, oh my god, I can't believe they've just done that. But just so funny and so over the top. And out of the four of us, I was the only one laughing. The rest of them looked at me like I was a psychopath. <laughs> and I, we came out, and I was like, that was brilliant. That was so funny. And they were like, you are fucked up. <laughs> You're wrong in the head. <laughs> <laughs> but no, okay, yeah. Yeah, the, the kind of horror movie stuff. I, I guess an honourable mention for me would be, and it, in fact, it's one I saw before Batman, Robocop. Ah, oh, what a film. Now, that came out in 1987, when I was 12. And I watched it when I was 12 on a pirate tape. But again, it was like, it, I didn't have the quite the kind of um, reaction in terms of who are all these people who made this film. But in terms of the humour, I got the humour in it. There is Obviously. that turning point, isn't there, of growing up where yeah. you're too young to legally watch this film, but you get it, you understand the, you understand the point the, of it. Yeah, the, the, the satire and the... Yeah. Like, you know, the fake adverts and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, were just brilliant. You come, get them before they get you, and all, all that kind of stuff. And and again, I could appreciate the... The, I, 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 the real reason I wanted to watch it was for the suit, right? Because oh, I yeah. saw, I had the the Marvel did the comic book adaptation of the film, which I I bought. But in the back was a photograph, a still from the film of the actual of Peter Weller in the suit, and it was like that looks incredible. I've got to watch this film again. It was just as you know, just yes, it was violent and sweary and and clearly not for twelve year olds. But I fucking loved it. Absolutely brilliant. I remember seeing Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines mm. in the cinema. Mm. when it came out. So I must have been probably 11 or 12. Okay. Because um, it being a 12A. <laughs> and that was the first mm. Terminator film I saw. Mm. And then it just got better. Because then, for some reason, I then watched number two. Oh, right, And yeah. because number one was still an 18 at the time, I was certainly not allowed to watch that for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. But then when I was allowed to watch it, I was I think I'd done it in the right order. It was, it was okay. But... Again, we could we could probably spend an hour talking about films that we weren't supposed to watch, but we watched, and then it influenced our our tastes. And you know, yeah. Back think, then, after watching you know, watching Terminator Two: Judgment Day, I didn't give a shit who James Cameron was. I didn't know who he was. Mm. Now I'm I, I you know I kick myself as an adult. It's 
it's crazy you know you don't the films that you watched as a kid or younger um like you said all these people that have been involved you know star wars is probably one of the first big sagas that i watched and yeah yeah the music's fantastic and then you go john williams well where's he popped up and again it comes back to your point with tim burton and, and the, the people that worked on that film he's worked with spielberg you know jaws one of my top 10 films of all time jurassic mm-hmm. park that's also up there it's just mm-hmm. like it's not life-changing that i suppose it's just anecdotally worth mentioning that i can relate to what you're saying but that it, i never had that kind of realization when i was a kid yeah it, it for me it was like suddenly like oh i get it now i get that there's all this stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, that, that so was there any film that you watched growing up that put you off a genre then maybe or didn't you know change your life for the for the negative don't think so particularly i've never been a fan of of rom-coms um I think you missed that, mate. But the, the, the but there wasn't any one kind of film that that put me off them. I've I've watched them, trying to see if there's a film that could make me like them. Like, oh, I'll give this one a go. Let's see if this changes my so, mind. So things like Love Actually and you know um, oh, Richard God, Curtis, no. you're not. No, Christ, no. Okay. Four Weddings and a Funeral. I've watched Four Weddings and a Funeral. That's also Richard Curtis. Yeah, that's right. And and Love Actually, I think I've managed about half an hour of Love Actually. Okay. Um, and they're just not... I think I'm just too cold-fucking-hearted, to be perfectly well, honest. Well, knowing your movie taste, I understand it. <laughs> I think, I mean, perhaps, and I wouldn't even call it a romantic comedy, but I think the only kind of film that deals with, with love that I've kind of enjoyed and has actually um, elicited a response from me that wasn't pure hatred. An emotional response is what you want yeah. to say. Yeah, what I know now why you cry um, <laughs> is is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, Jim Carrey and okay, Mary Elizabeth, uh, no, the other one. What's the chops? Winslet. Um, Winslet, that's it. Have you seen the film? No, but I'd seen it's on one of the streaming services mm. as of this week or something. Yeah. I mean, no spoilers, but I, I'll watch the film and then draw your own conclusions as to why sure. that had an effect on me. But but that was the only one. Okay. I, I saw that and I thought, oh, that I'll, I'll that put kind up of... with them, but I wouldn't actively go and see them. Yeah. And it, even that's not a rom-com, but I watched that one and I was like, oh, yeah, that, 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 hit, that hit home kind of thing. Um, okay. But other than that, yeah, yeah, there's nothing really. I, I will. I've always said I will watch. I'll give any kind of film a go, really, because yeah. um, you never know what you might find. Well, you exactly. Never know what exactly. I, I that happened with me. So, uh, no, it wasn't a film that I decided to give Squid Game a go. Oh yeah. And I, okay, one of my best mates has been trying to get me for years to watch subtitled films. And it's a bit like what the director of Parasite said. You know, if you can deal with two inches of text on the screen, you, you can open your world to so much great cinema. Yeah. Definitely. I watched Squid Game dubbed for the first two episodes. And then I said to my wife, oh, we've got to give the subtitles a go because this is ridiculous. I'm glad I did because it was just, it made it so much better. So then I told my friend, oh, watch Squid Game. 
He went, yeah, subtitled, isn't it? How'd you get on? I went, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You get past it quite quickly. So he was like, I'm going to bring you old boy. I'm like, okay. He said, we will have an evening watching old boy. Just me and you. And then, oh my word, have you got some films coming up your way. I'm like, ah, what have I done? I'm going to go back to not not liking subtitled films. But it's things like that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've never... Even as, as long ago as I can remember, watched the dubbed version of a film or a TV show because the it always puts me off the the fact that the 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 words don't match the lips. First of all, puts me off completely. That annoys me with music. If I'm watching a live performance, mm. I know they're miming. Yeah, I'm out. But it's like that, but like ten times worse because not only are they out. The movements don't even match the sounds. <laughs> yeah. Right? And also, a lot of the time, the voices that are used for the dubs are ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And it, and it does, you know, I mean, you want to watch the actors. Yeah. And yeah. it takes me right out of it. So, even as a youngster, I was like, I would much rather watch something that's subtitled. Because at the time, as you're young or whatever, as, as tricky as it might be to keep up and read at the same time, found that far less off-putting and if anything because you're reading what's being said you're paying more attention to what's being said yeah you can't zone out and pick up your phone because you'll literally miss something so i, I think for foreign language stuff i think the subtitles actually work to to pull you in even more but yeah okay okay i think we've uh explored all of that that we could to yeah. be fair i mean i yeah. think Life-changing, I think, is too broad. Uh, one more honourable mention for me, because of what it, one, started, and two, has been my escape for the last 10, 15 years, which was mm. coming out of the theatre of Iron Man 1. In 2008, for one of my mate's birthdays, it blew my little brain. Yeah. And knowing now how much Marvel has impacted my life, my friend's life, the world, mm. you know, it it's just become this massive event every couple of months it's been crazy hasn't it it <sighs> really has it's, it's been that 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 certainly changed my life iron man because again what yeah. that little did it know what it would become on come on to oh, do oh yeah yeah but because i fell in love with it it changed my life that it was just well that's that's the next 30 40 years paying them bloody tickets <laughs> isn't it <laughs> and, and i collecting remember the mcu and I remember when Iron Man came out and it was a hit, and very quickly after Marvel said, oh, and there'll be Iron Man 2 and the Incredible Hulk and Thor and Captain America, and then we're going to join them all up in the Avengers. And you're just thinking, yeah, sure. Of course right. you will. You're going to go Of course bust. you will. <laughs> and then, you know, and it was like, that wasn't even the start of it. Uh, no, yeah. that was, yeah. That, that was, that I just thought it was important to throw that one out because it's changed no, your absolutely. life too, whether you want to... Whether yeah, you realise it, absolutely. There's so much stuff now. Is you know on the Disney Plus shows and and all that kind of thing. And and half the time, that's exactly what we're talking about as well on on here. So absolutely. Second topic is this is this, I so we we talked about this in the week slightly. Mm. So second topic of the week: boutique home video labels. Mm. Now, I admitted to Mark that not really au fait with this. So, I think we were going to try and turn this in more of a I'll ask Mark questions. Because mm-hmm. he's going to know far more about it. And he got shitty with me. Say, oh, you call yourself a collector. <laughs> mainstream collector. I'm a mainstream collector. 
So, Mr. Mark. Yes. For our lovely listeners, will you please define what is meant by a boutique home video label? Okay. I would class them as an independent label, not not studio-owned or affiliated, whose releases are generally either independent movies or, or kind of older films, cult films, not always, we'll get onto that, um, where they get the film, they will search high and low for the best original elements, camera negatives, etc., restore the movie, produce, you know, new extra features and things like that. And they give uh, releases to films that normally the studios wouldn't, be bothered with so um, can i just sort of bring it back a bit more basic than that so you said yeah. the studio so let, let's say let's pick universal pictures right universal mm-hmm. studios mm-hmm. let's pick them out of thin air yeah they aren't the studio they're the ones that produced and made the movie released yep. it blah 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 yeah and then culture trumpet pictures want to yep. re-release pride of frankenstein or whatever yeah we would then have to go and get the rights for said film yep to release it under home home video or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that's that that's what I wanted to sort of define as not yeah. the big studio people that had created their own independent studio that aren't making the film. They're purely a distributor. Well, or a, a distributor rather than a studio. Yeah. Right. Okay. Gotcha, or a, gotcha. a, a label on on home video. Okay. So, so for using Universal as an example, then okay, they it, it seems a couple of years ago. Have, have signed up certainly well i think worldwide actually for some releases they've they've obviously done a deal with arrow which is a uk a boutique video label now see i i've read our notes obviously but i didn't realize that arrow was a boutique label and the i reason, would class them as one but well, go on. well sure but the, and the reason why is only because i was told if you're going to buy a version of the thing mm-hmm. get the arrow release yeah so i did yeah so what Arrow will do is what often the studios can't be asked doing. <laughs> right. Which is they will take the film, they will... Well, for example, The Thing, right, has already been released many, many times before, Laserdisc, DVD, various DVDs and, and Blu-rays. And Universal put together at the time what was a very good hour-long or so making-of documentary that interviewed all the key players including the ever-elusive Rob Bottin, who, who did the makeup effects for it, and the, and the animatronics. Uh, and it, it was a nice documentary, and it was a good, for the time, transfer, etc., etc. But that's got to be from early DVD days, so we're talking a documentary that might be 15 or 20 years old. What Arrow did was they licensed the, the film from, from uh, Universal. They did in collaboration with John Carpenter and Dean Cundy, the director and director of photography, a new 4K restoration of the film from the original camera negative. They included all the original extras, but produced a huge amount of brand new extras that, you know, know, covered a lot of the same ground as the original documentary, but maybe looked at different aspects of the production, interviewed people who maybe in the past would have been overlooked due to, you know, they're kind of working in the the backroom boys, kind of working behind the scenes. And they produced 
what is fair to say the probably the, the definitive release of, of the thing. Okay. Right? They've done the same with Waterworld, Candyman, the original Candyman. You know, they they've released you know box sets of the first three Hellraiser films with yes. a tremendous amount of extra features and stunning new you know rest you know transfers and, and so on. So the, the the releases kind of vary. You you get like the the labels that might release like eighty eight films, for example. Their kind of area where you most commonly see their releases are Hong Kong action movies, eighties and nineties Hong Kong action movies. Well, actually, seventies, eighties, nineties Hong Kong, early Jackie Chan stuff, Samohun and those kind of stars where they'll again they'll they'll restore the film they'll if there's different versions because often on those movies there would be the hong kong version there might be a different cut that was released in japan there might be a different cut that was released internationally they'll get all those different versions together so it might be the first time you've been able to see all two or three versions of a film they'll record new audio commentaries with with like experts on the genre They'll have previously unseen outtakes, perhaps documentaries, interviews with the people who are still around. And again, these might often be the first time that those films have been released uncut in this country. They might yeah. have had, you know, they could have been released in the 90s or 80s on VHS and DVD, a time when they were still cut. And this is now your first opportunity to ever see the fully uncut version of whatever this film might be. So my, and I think, my real question, I think, is why do they do this? Is it because they are... Obviously, they they love the craft, because otherwise why would they bother, you know, remastering something if there's already a perfectly decent version of it already out there for the masses? Is it because they they are people like you and I, they're nerds for want of a better expression and they want to see this out in the wild as well as obviously turning profit I think there's definitely an element of that you get the feeling from the, the, some of the releases and, and kind of comments and interviews that there might be from the labels that a lot of these are very kind of passion projects for the people involved that's that's labour of love passion project was yeah. going to be another way I described okay okay yeah there was there's a, a label that launched a couple of years ago, a UK label called Fractured Visions, who they're kind of bringing a lot of the Italian crime dramas to the UK. And and you look at that and you think, well, that's not really a high profile you know, genre for the, yeah, sure. that's ever been popular in this country. But clearly there's some passionate fans out there. And a lot of these releases you know, to be fair, do carry a premium price, right? If you look at a company like Second Sight, who I think are fast becoming one of the best labels out there, right? Their releases, on a Blu-ray release, you know, they're £25 upwards. But that will include a, a, a high-quality packaging, slipcase, a book with with new writing and essays in, so they obviously have to pay the writers to 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 produce the content for that you know 
they're not just slapping any old release on they had they, they brought out you know i did a review of, of one the other month they brought out session nine which is a well-known very highly regarded psychological horror film never was a massive hit but it's one of those that's picked up a big following on on home video since it came out and the transfer it was an early digitally shot film so there's only so much they can do in terms of the picture quality but it looked good and it had a ton of really good extra features on the on the disc and then it had there must have been at least three hours worth of brand new special features it's like i but why well (laughs) because well one on you might say well why because this film was never that big of a hit right but there's people out there that love that film yeah sure and and it's if you love that film it's worth every penny they did they released the the physical release of host which was the big kind of lockdown horror movie yep uh, which went, which was a Shudder production that could have gone on to streaming and never gone any further. But Second Sight pulled the hat out of the bag on that one and did a fantastic release of that. They did the Dawn of the Dead release. Yeah, yeah. That 4K, that. that huge mammoth 4K Dawn of the Dead, which has just set the standard for, for new special edition releases. It really did. And a lot of it, yeah, it is... It is kind of labour of love, passion project. Um, and a lot of the time, the work that some of these companies are doing is they're kind of, they're almost rescuing the film. That, they're preserving it, aren't they? Yeah. And yeah. They're, they're bringing it up to modern scratch and preserving it for, mm. for the future. I think yeah. that's awesome. It is. And, and, you know, people might say, well, you know, they this this cheesy there's there's what you know this this cheesy seventies horror film it was it was only shot on sixteen millimeter why give it a four k restoration because if you don't that film's going to deteriorate and the scratches are going to get worse and the tears are going to get worse and then no one's going to be able to see it but I think people like you and I we are collectors and I've I've put myself in this this bucket of collector that I'm an archivist, archivist, mm. where yeah. I, I'll buy stuff, but I won't necessarily rip the cellophane off and wrap and watch it straight away. Mm. It, it will sit on my, on my counter, on my counter, on my um, bookshelf for a while, mm. for a good couple of years. So yeah, I've mm. still not seen Halloween Kills for the second time. Mm-hmm. But it, this bit me on the arse last year, year before maybe, just after the first lockdown, I think. So it was August 20. I'd bought a vinyl the year before, I uh, went to play it, and it was jumping all over the place, and it was a bad produced vinyl. But it was out of its return policy. Again, just a pointless anecdote for you there. But um, again, <laughs> I, I'll buy things, collect it, and it just sit there for some time, you know? Yeah, I do as well. I, I've got stuff on the shelf that I haven't opened yet, but I think... The, the kind... <laughs> There's a thing now of saying, you know, physical media is dead, right? And we've had, obviously, there's Netflix are producing their own stuff, and of rare occasions aside, that's not getting physical releases. No. Disney, obviously, their theatrical releases 
the Marvel movies, Star Wars, whatever it might be, they get they get disc releases, but their Disney Plus originals like Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, the the MCU TV shows, they're not getting physical releases. And there's a risk of it being ended up being a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Physical media isn't dead because people don't want to buy physical media. No, it's because the studios aren't prepared to produce it. Yes, and they're also not prepared to produce good quality extra features. I think the heyday for that was the DVD era. Oh, where you, I completely where agree you, with you. Where you could pick up... You look at you know something like Blade 2, right, which came out and there was a, a special edition of that and a huge big documentary on, like again, Guillermo del Toro, the Hellboy movies, big documentaries on there. The Blu-ray versions don't have those. So you need to hang on to your DVD if you want the two-hour documentary, right? And it's been getting kind of gradual. Obviously, there have been exceptions, right? But generally speaking, the the amount and quality of bonus features that have been included on Blu-ray and 4K discs is kind of dropping. Yeah, you get you get the special editions, you get the Ghostbusters box set that's got you know the unseen rough cut version of yeah. the first film or the TV version of Ghostbusters 2 and blah 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 that's cool but but that's a box set that costs 100 quid right the standard releases that those kind of extra features are starting to go um, I'm glad you brought that up because I think I mentioned this a couple of uh, in one of the episodes about Final Destination 3 now I'm a big fan Destination fan. I think they're brilliant. Can't wait to see what I uh, can't wait to see what the reboot is going to be be like because it, it it's coming. The writer is it David Gordon Green? Well, no, John Watts I think is writing it, isn't he? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Any, anyway, I digress. Word, word of the episode. Digress. Looking here, I, and I remember, I remember, I've still got the box set downstairs on Final Destination Three, the DVD release. It had a so special feature audio commentary. Fair enough. Deleted scene. Yeah, fair enough. Three documentaries, mm. the trailer and an animated video. Now, mm. you know, looking at the article here, the first documentary, Dead Teenager Movie, examines the history of slasher films. Mm-hmm. Why does that need to be on Final Destination 3? Who cares? Mm. The second one, Kill Shot, the making of Final Destination 3. Now, that was incredible because it showed you all the practical effects. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. finally, a seven minute animated film, It's All Around You, it explains the various ways people can die. There's there's no point in it, but mm-hmm. I remember the Dead Teenager movie documentary, and that is probably what opened me up to more slasher films, because mm-hmm. it goes into the Boogeyman and Halloween and all that nonsense, but it I'm so annoyed they don't do hour-long making-ofs anymore. They're all seven-minute mm. featurettes that you see a couple of stunts, and then you see you know the actor saying how cool it was. Like, it, yeah. It's not yeah. as good as it used to be. It isn't. It isn't. And as I say, there are exceptions, right? And I think they are mainly director-driven exceptions, whether it's a director of a certain standing who can kind of influence a little bit more what goes on the discs. But but yeah, un- unless you're talking about a big box set loaded with extras that's been specially produced, the stuff that the studios are often putting out now just doesn't have that Whereas, as I say, you look at like Arrow, 
Second Sight, 88 films. In America, you've got Shout, Stroke, Scream Factory. They'll put that effort in. If you look, looking at Shout, they did the Friday the 13th box set with all the Friday the 13th movies. That involved dealing with multiple studios and rights holders because different companies had produced and released different films in the series. So to get them all together in one box set, logistically and contractually must have been tricky. They then produced all the extra features. There was then, again, you know, hour-long documentaries and, and all this kind of thing about the history of slashers and the series as a whole and all that kind of thing. But the film studio would, ne would have never released that. Universal would never have bothered to go and do a whole new series of documentaries for the 1984 version of June. Right, which okay. Was, which was panned and was a huge flop, and the director doesn't even talk about it anymore, right? But Arrow basically said, give it to us, let us do it. They went off and then got, got Ballyhoo, who are kind of the one of the modern kind of leading extras producers, to go off, you know, around the world and interview people and put together a great set of documentaries on this film that is widely considered as a bad film, mm. <laughs> right? But look at what they did. They did a 4K restoration, and obviously timing-wise, it was all time to, for the new Dune movie, but nevertheless, sure. the effort and expense that must have gone into doing that Universal wouldn't would have never done that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it takes, yeah, yeah. It takes these indie labels to to license it, and like like Second Sight, as as we're recording, have just announced one of their next releases coming up is The Witch, Robert Eggers' The Witch. Yes, one of the best horror films of the last ten years. Stunning film. It's been recommended. <laughs> it's fun. It's genuinely incredible movie. And it's been released on Blu-ray, and it, again, as going back to what you said, it's had those ten-minute, fifteen-minute interview things that doesn't really tell you anything. No. But Second Sight of putting together, you know, loads of new interviews, new documentaries. Um, the, there's a, again, there's going to be a book in there with two or three essays. They've commissioned new artwork for it. Yes. There's a premium on the price. But again, if you're a collector, you, you're a collector you'll stamp it up. And I think, you know, I think there has to be... If you if you want physical discs to keep going, you've got to put your money where your mouth is and support these companies. I completely agree. And, and yeah... You know, it's 25 quid instead of 15 quid. It's 30 quid. It's 40 quid. Sometimes more than, you know, the Dawn of the Dead box set was like 80 quid or whatever. But look at what they've done. Look at what they've done. I'm glad you said that about pricing because, mm. I, as I said, I don't collect these boutique uh, releases as much as yourself or other people mm. that we know. But mm. the one that irks me, and it's a major studio that does it, mm. is that... MCU steelbooks are now thirty two ninety nine in the UK, mm -hmm. whereas other releases are still like okay, it's a difference of four quid. But back in the day, they were twenty pound twenty five. Yeah, and 
you know, the, the, the amount they've shot up. And what do you get in there? One disc. Well, well uh, so you get a Blu-ray, you get the 4K, yeah. Yeah. and that's your lot. I think, I think there's two things there. You're right, the price has shot up. One is that they are now 4K, whereas back when we started collecting steelbooks, they were one they were blu-ray well the, right? the, my first four, my first steel book was cloverfield and that was a dvd sure right but yeah so, the point being yes they're now far more co- better quality but i'm not saying that as an excuse i'm just i'm not i'm not saying the extra price is worth the extra quality i'm just saying now they're 4k rather than blu-ray or dvd right so any excuse to bump the price up the com- the studios will take it also what we talk about here is disney Right, uh, and, yeah. it, and it's not just Marvel. It's my it's fault. The, no, no, but it, but it's it, it's the Marvel movies, it's Disney branded movies, it's Star Wars movies. All of their steel books are thirty two ninety nine, and it's fucking Disney. You look at the other labels, and they're twenty nine ninety nine. Well, Sony, you know, No Way Home is getting its release in the next month or so, mm-hmm. and it's. Twenty nine ninety nine, and yeah. I, my brain went, "Hang on, what? Oh, is it Sony?" Exactly, exactly. There are definitely some studios that. I, I mean, I get it, and and I see the complaints, but in the same breath, people are still saying they've ordered it. I know that's the problem. It they, they can't believe just pre-ordered this. Can't believe the price. Don't fucking pre-order it then. It, we've talked about this before, haven't we? It's your money. <laughs> yeah, it's like, tell you what, Disney are going to be fine. <laughs> Disney are going to be fine, right? If you're willing to spend thirty-two ninety-nine on a 4K steelbook, when it's going to be on Disney Plus, yeah, a week before, right? Take that thirty-two ninety-nine buy something from Arrow or go on the Masters of Cinema website and see if they've got any sales on and yeah, buy okay. something from them. Masters of Cinema are releasing the 100th the 100th anniversary edition of Nosferatu. That's pretty cool. Spend your money on that because that's a film that physically is going to cease to exist soon. And the work that companies like that do, and the BFI and Arrow and all of these related companies, they are preserving these films. And it might not be a film that you want to watch. But there's going to be hundreds and thousands of people out there that will. That will. And it's important, I know this sounds cheesy as fuck, right? But it's important. What, What these companies do for some of these films is vitally important. Because if they don't do it, the studios certainly won't do. I agree with you on that. I mean, you know, you look at the you know people who are in the film world do it because they love it, right? That yeah. that that is their their blood. That is their passion. You know, everyone's got everyone's got a passionate hobby, of course, but of course. the money that has to go into producing and making these movies and the time spent on these things. Imagine if you had spent, you know, some um, films have been passion projects for like a decade for some people. Imagine mm. spending 10 years working on a piece of work for, you know, the, a good part of your life. And then for, I don't know, 50, 50 60 years down the line, it just, that's it. It's, it's poof from existence. Yeah. I'd be annoyed. Yeah. 
but, there's yeah. going to be some films that are always going to be fine, right? The Godfather's 50 years old this year. It's had a complete top-to-bottom 4K restoration. Godfather's going to be fine. Apocalypse Now is going to be fine. You know, the, the the Marvel movies are going to be fine. All the Disney stuff is going to be fine. Yeah, they're always going to be on a hard drive somewhere. Then they'll they'll never go away. They'll never deteriorate. You'll always be able to get them. But what these companies are doing, what these indie indie companies are doing, they are obviously they release stuff like like. Arrow have done the thing in Waterworld and stuff that's guaranteed to be a big seller, but they're taking the money they make from those high-profile releases and putting that money into stuff that maybe isn't going to sell 100,000 copies. It might only sell a couple of thousand copies, but the profit from the big seller is funding that work on a film that otherwise might never get touched. And uh, yeah, I think if, if you don't like the prices that Disney are charging, if you don't, if you think go, you've go been spend it elsewhere, for maybe book. for something a bit more better. Yeah, go to the one of the indies and show them you support because physical media is going to be around. You know, it's not going to get replaced. It's not going anywhere are, right now. No, and there are companies out there who are really fucking working hard to to keep these films in good condition and viewable. You know, and like I said, you have got companies like Ballyhoo and Redshirt Films who, who make the documentaries. So it's not just the restoration, it's all the supplementary material around it. Yeah. And you know, they go around the world tracking people down to interview them and, and pulling all the archival stuff. And it's yeah, it's stuff that the big studios with with exceptions, it's stuff that the big studios don't do. So I think if if you like films, support these companies. You know, I agree. That it's I agree. worth spending the extra. I'm by one of these releases, into it more. yeah. By one of these releases, that's forty quid, rather than a couple of couple of others. You know, that you'll be able to pick up for a tenner in six months' time. <laughs> sure. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That, that film ain't going anywhere. You'll be able to get Fast and the Furious 12, you know, forever, right? But but this film, Nosferatu, or whatever it might be, might not be around for much longer without the support and the work that these companies do. So fucking show your support. <laughs> Sorry, but it's like a real thing for me. Let's, let's leave it there then before you get too angry. Well <laughs> there we go. There's Mark's love letter to indie, indie studio, uh, indie not indie studios, video labels, uh, indie video labels. Thank you. Yes. I was listening. Show for your the whole support. They do important work. Show your support. Next time. Well, no, hang on. I'm going to plug this because. Oh, go on. I was fortunate to be given a review copy of the Babadook and. It was a really cool experience because I'd never done it before. I was disappointed it wasn't the full thing to get my teeth into and really mm. pick it apart. It was just the discs. But yeah. if there are any indie labels out there that want us to review things, get in touch, please, because we like doing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to start. I want to try and start picking that up again because we have, we have got the website called com. So I want to try and start getting a bit more content on there in terms of reviews and news and things like that just to pick up alongside the podcast stuff. Let's see if we can get that ball rolling again. Throw yeah, us all, some stuff. Always happy to take a look at new releases and all stuff that's coming up. Press releases, all that kind of thing. I think, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of get that out there. Next time, I, I think we should cover one of your kind of passion areas. 
around pornography. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say music, but oh yeah, that one, the other one. Fine. Sorry, God, Jesus. <laughs> so maybe um, I can pick your brains, but maybe we can get a little bit more in depth. Well, there's the physical media side of music as well, and yeah, I have thoughts. Of course, um, fantastic. But yeah, let's let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Until that time, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And every person in between. Yes. Enjoy your week or however long it is until the next time we gather. Yeah, enjoy Picard Series 2, which is streaming the end of this week. It starts, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Are you looking forward to that one? Oh, it sounds like it. Because I watched the first series having no context of the next gen. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Oh, Watch wow. Next Generation all over lockdown, and I was like, holy shit, I want to go back into this world. Oh. And of course, I mean, you've seen the trailer, I assume. Yeah, no, you know, it does look good. A it certain character return, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to that one. Right. Let's go. And on that note. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>